0: Last time we finished Daniel chapter 3, and as we move today into chapter 4, I had considered playing the song Werewolves of London by the great Warren Zevon, or something, because we're going to be talking about werewolves today. Um, We're in that part of the Bible, and uh, uh, I don't know if we have lycanthropy or boanthropy in in this chapter, but we do have one of them. Um, and the question I think is that's more important to us is to find out uh, uh, because this is the last reference we have to King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit has chosen to give us this particular chapter to end our Nebuchadnezzar journey. So I want to ask the question: Will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? Based on what we have in this chapter, which as I said, this is the final chapter of our judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. Will we or might we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? I'm going to come back to that at the very end of of our hour. um, And we'll talk about it again there. But let's get into chapter 4, which I've titled The Madness of the King. Nebuchadnezzar's letter. So, this is a letter in the book of Daniel from King Nebuchadnezzar to someone, probably his entire kingdom. From King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the entire earth, may your peace and prosperity increase. Typical letter from a king? Yeah. Uh, Some commentaries say that it would be ridiculous for a king to issue an edict of this kind. What I would like to ask of those commentaries is where in the text does it say this is an edict? An edict is an official statement of law from a king to his people. Does this say this is an edict? No, it's just a letter, it's just an explanation. Um, how many United States presidents have gotten so sick that for a while they couldn't serve? I can think of at least two. FDR for a little while. FDR for a little while. And then can you go back to World War I? Oh, well, when he got shot. Yeah, yeah. Actually, every president when he's been shot has not been able to serve for a while, if not permanently. But all, how many? Five? How many presidents have been shot? Haven't six been shot? Teddy Roosevelt got shot in Milwaukee, and then stood back up and finished his speech before he would let them take the bullet out of his chest. Uh, Garfield, um, McKinley, got shot on the steps, and on, on steps, because Kennedy, when I was a kid, um, and uh, and who said Kennedy? Yeah, and Reagan. So, um, I'm I'm thinking of another president who was president during World War One. Wilson. Wilson had a stroke and his wife served at cabinet meetings, bringing his wishes into the cabinet meetings. Very good, Daryl. Um, yeah, and uh, in both the cases of Wilson, Reagan, and FDR, when they returned to office, they made a public statement of how they were. Um, and that's been true with other uh, nobles. I, I think especially useful to us in this chapter is if all of you knew the story of King George III. Do all of you know the story of King George III? Or do none of us know the story of King George III? George III was King of England during the American Revolutionary War, and he went insane. More than once, he would have episodes where he would go nuts, and then he'd be okay, then he'd go nuts, then he'd be okay. And his son, whom his loyal subjects referred to as Prinny, Prinny is short for prince, uh, he served as regent, prince regent, during his father's incapaciting uh, moments. And there was frequently a regency Where the prince would have to take over and run things in England. And really the navy was running things in England. Because it was also the tail end or the beginning of the the Napoleonic era. So there were issues going on in Britain at the time. Um, But here if we have a king as happens in our chapter. Who is overcome by insanity or madness. And then he comes back. Doesn't it make sense that he would issue a statement? Saying, Hi, I'm better now, I'm on the throne. You know, kind of makes sense to me, especially if there's a question about who's really on the throne. So Nebuchadnezzar issues this, I'll just call it a statement, this letter. So, uh, verse 2 It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God did for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion extends from generation to generation. If I compare that those two verses to everything that Abraham or Isaac or Jacob say about God am I going to come with much of a difference? It doesn't seem like there's much of a difference. Especially if I go back to a guy like Enoch before the flood. Where he warns about godlessness, but he never says anything in scripture that's even this good. Um, He has law warnings, but this is kind of praise, isn't it? So, this is pretty spectacular for a king. Might it be that Nebuchadnezzar was still mixed up about certain doctrines? Yeah, yeah might it be that the thief on the cross was still mixed up about certain doctrines and yet is the thief on the cross in heaven yeah he had faith in the true God in in salvation through Jesus Nebuchadnezzar seems to have had an understanding and who would he have he gotten this understanding from probably Daniel his chief wise man his chief wise man I should say so this is pretty good stuff here. And I, I, I hesitate to criticize these things by Nebuchadnezzar. I would love to criticize earlier things he said and did. But this stuff is pretty good. Let's just go on. By the way, I'm sorry. I have to say something about this. It's in your notes. Our Lutheran dogmaticians from the 19th and 20th centuries... Quote, 11 passages in the Bible that talk about God's eternal nature. This is one of them. Where he says his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion extends from generation to generation. Um, so, So although it's possible that Nebuchadnezzar had a problem with certain doctrines. And maybe struggled with some temptations and some doctrines. Could he speak the truth here? Sure. Um. Do you remember the passage in Galatians where Paul has to oppose an apostle because he was getting something wrong? It was Peter. Peter of all people. Peter who had seen the giant ship's sail descend from heaven, filled with pork and rhinoceros and snake and whatever else, whatever other unclean animals, a hoopoe and a bat. And a horned owl. Or whatever was in that sale, um, He saw that. Uh, and was told. That you can now eat. These unclean things. And he was on the rooftop of a Gentile. Went downstairs. And told them. I know that God has told me. I can reach out to the Gentiles. And then not that long later. Paul has to oppose Peter. Because Peter had gone back. To maybe I shouldn't eat with the Gentiles. So. Sometimes, do pastors make mistakes? Yeah, yeah. If a pastor sometimes can make a mistake, could a heathen king make a mistake? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'd be surprised if a heathen king you know, came to faith, and yet here we seem to have one. At least in this verse, it seems like he is. Well, going on. Four and five. When I, Nebuchadnezzar, was carefree in my house and prospering in my palace. Can I just say, um, we have chronicles of Nebuchadnezzar's reign uh, from Babylon for the first, oh, uh, 20 years, 23 years, I think, of his reign as king. Why do we have those chronicles for the beginning and not the end? Because in the beginning he was doing interesting stuff. At the end he wasn't. What interesting things do kings often do that, would, that would, you'd keep a record of? They go to war. Yeah, in fact, in Babylon, as in Sumer and Akkad and other places like that, they actually named their years after commanding generals in their wars. So, uh, who here no- remembers Norman Schwarzkopf? Remember that name? Could we have a year called the year of Schwarzkopf? We kind of know what year it was? 1991. Yeah, yeah. Would you remember that? Uh, uh, Or we would have a year like uh, the year of uh, George Patton or something like that. Um, And in fact, in Babylon, what you'd get is first year of Patton, second year of Patton, then first year of Eisenhower, second year of Eisenhower, that kind of stuff going on. Um, as the wars go on. So who was the, the big general in uh, Vietnam? McNamara, right? After um, after MacArthur got sacked, it was McNamara in Vietnam and so forth. So those kinds of things. Well, they did that in Babylon as well. And then for a while, uh, things end in Babylon. Weirs get named not after commanding generals of wars, but after, oh, the... Secretary of the Interior and the Secretary of Education and this financial advisor because they weren't at war. And nothing much else gets recorded because they were kind of at peace. Nebuchadnezzar undertook big building projects. You ever heard of one? One of Nebuchadnezzar's building projects? The Hanging Gardens of Babylon built by Nebuchadnezzar in the second half of his reign as king when he expanded the city of Babylon Uh, Right across the river from Mosul in modern Iraq, Um, that's where Babylon was. And actually, in ancient times, people thought more of the gate of Babylon than of the hanging gardens. But when they made the list of great wonders of the ancient world, for whatever reason, the committee, I don't know who it was, voted for the hanging gardens and not for the big Ishtar gate. But many of you have seen a reproduction of the Ishtar Gate. If you've ever gone to the Natural History Museum in Chicago, you ever seen it? There's a, like a big brick wall with a kind of a mosaic of a, of a griffin or a lion on this huge wall. That's the uh, one panel from the giant Ishtar Gate going into Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar thought it was the best thing he ever built. Far better than the garden he built for his wife which was the hanging gardens, which was interesting because it had a screw, a giant screw um, that would lift water from the river, from the Euphrates, all the way up to the top of this, uh, a, a step pyramid, it's called a ziggurat. And then it would drop the water out and it would run down, 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 watering as it went. That's how they got the water to, but it was through this giant big um, sort of uh, hand-turned screw Um I don't know if slaves did it or animals or the wind, but um, that kind of a thing. But, so, famous building projects. Well, here he tells us, or hints, that he's in that part of his reign. Carefree in my house, prospering in my palace. We're going to get a third clue later in verse 30, that we're in the second half of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Whoop, I just lost everything. But you didn't, so that's what matters. Let me get it back. Is it back? Okay. On your sheet at the bottom of page one is a chronology of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Do you care? Can we just go through this quickly? So 605 Battle of Carchemish, he's prince. Then his dad dies and he has to run back in October or August, I forget what month it was, and get crowned. First year of his reign. Uh, In 599, there's one year off from the campaigns when evidently he had a really bad battle against the Syrians and had to take a whole year to repair all of his chariots or rebuild them. Um, then he uh, campaigned against Arabia, Jerusalem, Syria, Elam, Syria, again 594, turn the page. Uh, he had a big show of force in about 588 um, or so, or no, 594 against Psalm Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, the II, who's not in the Bible but was living at this time. It's a big assault on Egypt and the siege of Jerusalem, 587. He had a siege of Tyre, the city of Tyre up in the northwest in Lebanon that went on for 13 years. Um, Had an attempted invasion of Egypt and sometime after that Egyptian thing in the last, or sometime, I'm sorry, after the siege of Tyre in the last 10 or so years of his reign when not much was going on anymore. Probably is this time of prosperity when he was, when he had this dream And had this problem, so that we have in our text, this time of peace, relative peace. Could have been during the siege of Tyre, when for 13 years the army is there, but not a lot is going on otherwise. Okay, so, when I, Nebuchadnezzar, was carefree in my house and prospering in my palace, I saw a dream that frightened me. The images I saw while I was on my bed and the visions in my head alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring before me all the wise men of Babylon so that they could give the interpretation of the dream and make it known to me. Then the magicians, the spell casters, the astrologers, and the diviners came and I told them the dream, however, they could not make its meaning known to me. Um, A couple commentaries have criticized this. Well, isn't that what always happened with Nebuchadnezzar? Something happens and nobody knows what it means. Well... Let's be careful because uh, to me this suggests that in 20 years this was only the second time that this had happened to Nebuchadnezzar and they're both going to be resolved by Daniel. But that's, I, I think this king was calling in his astrologers all the time and usually they got it right or it didn't matter. But this is the second time that he's had to call up Daniel when nobody else knew what to do so to me this seems like a much more significant event than what some commentators give it credit for so i i want to be careful about what the text says versus my opinion and which one is more important my opinion or the text the text well you're a lutheran cuz that's what that's that's what we always want to Uh, be careful about is what does the text actually say? So, afterward, Daniel came before me whose name is Belteshazzar, like the name of my God, and a spirit of the holy gods dwells in him. And I told him the dream. Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that a spirit of the holy gods dwells in you and no mystery is too difficult for you, take a look at the dream I saw and interpret it for me. So, He calls in all of his wise men. They don't know what to do. He calls in Daniel, whose other name was Belteshazzar. And he gets something wrong. What does he get wrong in this passage? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So would you say that Nebuchadnezzar has a perfect understanding of faith and the nature of God? No, no, he doesn't. Uh, What Roman would have a perfect understanding of the true God. What Greek? What Greek philosopher? Um, and yet when Paul spoke, spoke at the Areopagus um, to the, to the uh, Greek philosophers who were there in Athens, one of them came to faith um, after, after Paul preached there. Um, does that mean that that guy immediately had a perfect faith? No, but he was baptized and, uh, and a prominent woman um, also came to faith at that time, an Athenian woman with evidently a lot of money, who uh, Paul also converted. She was baptized and probably supported the mission work there in Athens. And so uh, all, the same is true of the jailer of Philippi and Lydia in Philippi and on and on. When we first meet Apollos, uh, he's preaching in, um, is it Ephesus? And uh, 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 what do we find out about Apollos? He hardly knew anything about Jesus. He barely knew Jesus' name. And yet Aquila and Priscilla talk to him, fill him in, uh, give him a better understanding, and then he says, you know what? I'm glad I'm going to keep preaching, but maybe I shouldn't keep preaching here. I, th- I kind of think that was a wise choice with Apollos, that he had been... Um, He'd been going so far with his instruction but couldn't go any farther, although he's a very effective preacher. uh, Luke says that he boiled over with the Spirit when he talked. You ever known a guy who talked like that, a preacher? And just just boiling over all the time. And uh, that's why Apollos was, I think he was in part a little embarrassed that he had gotten so much wrong or didn't have a complete story. So. Although they would have been forgiving, they certainly, I'm sure they loved him. He thought, maybe I should go somewhere else. So he goes, anybody know where he went? He goes to Corinth, sailed across the sea and left Ephesus and, uh, and went over to Corinth to preach. Or to Achaia, I should say. Corinth was one of those places. So yeah, he doesn't have it right. Um, but he has some things right and he does call on Daniel. Now my question also is, why is Daniel... Uh, the last guy to come. I think his usual task was to ask the guys who are here now, the astrologers. Daniel um, uh, uh, was the chief of the Magi. Um, It's been suggested that maybe because the king's edict was to gather all of the astrologers and the wise men, maybe Daniel took it on himself to make sure they all got there. Maybe Daniel was out getting them um, and so he was late coming in. It could also be, and I, I kind of like this, this, this idea, could also be that the king wanted to find out if the other guys would know because he was pretty scared of, of things when Daniel started talking. Um, he got nervous when Daniel talked. Remember I said last time that people got nervous when Nebuchadnezzar talked? Because you never knew what he was going to say. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was impressed by Daniel and I think a little scared of him and of the true God and he kind of hoped it wouldn't be that but now he realizes nobody else knows I gotta I gotta ask Daniel so it's gonna be this is gonna be a big one huh this is gonna be a whopper whatever this dream means this dream of the tree we haven't even heard the dream yet but it's gonna be a big one so let's get to the vision Uh, where's my clicker here we go Maybe we can describe the vision before uh, we take a little break here. I was seeing visions in my head while I was on my bed. There was a tree standing in the middle of the earth, and its height was great. Um, I think we all have the same idea, but we should be on the same page. What do you think he means by the middle of the earth? Babylon. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he means Babylon rather than, would we say, that the, the chocolate center of a Tootsie Pop? The, you know, the center of the earth. I know I think we mean the middle of the land of the earth and I think Babylon is the middle from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view. I think he can say that and get away with it. Um, so yeah, uh, just want to be sure we're talking about the same thing. Remember that our worldview of the earth as a sphere is not necessarily what every ancient author or, or, or even theologian would necessarily have had. So there, there. Maybe Isaiah never thought about it. Maybe Habakkuk never thought about it. Maybe Jonah did. I don't know. But uh, you know, some of the sailors. Maybe Paul did. But I'm not sure that some of the other guys necessarily did. We have our view of the earth because we've been taught it. But have any of you been around the world? I have. I have a couple friends who have. You have, Elaine. I have friends who have been to Europe, and, and I, have, I, I know people in Africa. I have a friend who lives in Australia, and people have been around the world, but I haven't personally. You know, it could be all be a hoax, right? No, I don't think so. Um, okay. So, he sees this tree, and this is his description. Just listen while you look at this cool picture. So its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit was plentiful, On it, there was enough food for all. Under the tree, the wild animals had shade, and the birds of the air lived in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. So, what is it that the tree gives? Well, let me just read these points from your handout. So, it's standing in the middle of the earth. It's a very tall tree, it grows and becomes strong. Its height reached up to the sky or to the heavens. Is there a significance there? Well, taller than the others maybe would be at, at the very least, I could say that. It was visible from the, from the whole earth. Sometimes um, I have a colleague who struggles when in Revelation, everyone will see Christ coming on the last day. And he always asks, does that mean that in New Elm and London, we'll see Jesus at the same moment? And uh, I don't think he can get past the world being shaped like this. But what do we know will happen to the earth on the last day? And, And could the earth begin to do this? If you're at the bottom of a bowl, of a cereal bowl, and suddenly above the bowl appeared the head of a cat, could everything in the bowl see the cat coming? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, could everybody, while the world is being unmade, suddenly see Christ descending from heaven? Sure, it could happen. I'm not saying that that's what will happen. I'm saying that it could happen. And and uh, Pastor Sutton also likes to add uh, uh, that uh, you know Christ is everywhere. Like, and when we take the Lord's Supper, are we all getting Christ? Yes, we are. So, you know, we don't have to necessarily ascribe our physical laws to the one who created the physical laws, right? Yeah. So, Governor Waltz put on a 10 p.m. curfew, right? Does that mean he himself has to obey it? Yes. No, no, no. I said has to. I didn't say should. Not necessarily. He might have a reason why he doesn't. And the God who made the universe might not need to obey all of those physical laws. There might be a reason for him not to. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.